You'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We have finished up our values of worship, teaching, nurture, and reaching here at the church. And thank you for those who came out and prayed and those who've stepped up to fill places of um, service. Uh, there's still plenty of opportunities for you to fill out the forms and turn them in and be placed on a, on a committee to help make the life of the church work. And so uh, please continue to do so. But we're starting into a series on the books of First and Second Timothy. So I'd ask that you would turn there. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 2 this morning. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a group where you've had to go through a trust fall. I would imagine that most people in here have been a part of an organization or something where you had to go through a trust fall. Now, if they usually come to your place of business, they usually do something very um, nice. And they have everybody stand up and they go, let's come on, Susan and Jim, you come on over here. And we're just going to have you stand by his back and you're going to cross your arms and you're going to say, falling. And you say, fall on. And you go back like two inches. Oh, thank you. Oh, that was so nice. Well, I don't really count that a trust fall. Okay. So usually if you go to a place and they ask you to do a trust fall, sometimes they take it up another level. And so usually they have you like on a platform or on a table. And so you're about three feet up, right? So you're falling back, but it's still, if you were to step back, you could probably still save yourself. Now, when I went to college, um, at Covenant College, they actually have a summer program where the people came out and they did their own ropes course and their own uh, uh, kind of trust things out in the woods. So when you go up onto a ledge where people are having to be tied to the tree, now we're talking about trust falls. Okay, when you're talking about when people get their nose broken and stuff like that, now you're talking about trust falls. And so what would happen is they would have these people get up on the platform, and again, we'd have to make them take their hands, and we'd make them reverse it. Now, why is that? Because most people tend to go, boom. So as they're falling, people were getting noses broken, blood. It was all sorts of fun trying to get the freshmen to trust one another. But what would happen is we'd always get somebody up there that would start to try to go back and they go, no, 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 I can't do it. And we would be up there and be like, no, no, you can do it, you can do it. Your people aren't going to fall. They're, they're not going to let you fall or anything like that. But I can't do it. And they're crying. Oh, I can't do it. So how do they try to get those people to go? They would ask the fattest person to get up there. Usually it was people like myself and other football players. And they would say, okay, now you show them how to fall. Now, at that point, I started to switch people around. All right, you come here, you come here, because what would happen a lot of times is people, they put the price, sometimes the smallest person in between, and you hold their hands, and you go, falling, and you go, I'm not falling there. I want the bigger guys to come in. I want to trust that when I fall, my head's not hitting the rock. I want to trust that when I fall and my butt starts going down directly, not doing what I'm supposed to do and falling straight back, someone's going to catch me. Now, let me ask you that. Apply that to true life, real life, because, again, all of those situations are conjured up. You have truly at least an understanding that, again, we're not putting people in harm's way, and the people that are underneath you will catch you. But have you ever been in a situation where you looked at somebody and they go, trust me? Will you trust me? 
not so much. Why do you begin to trust people? We talked about last week, there are those who earn that right. And we're going to start talking about godly discipleship, and this is where Paul's talking to Timothy. And he's sending Timothy to a very hard place. And he looks at Timothy, and he's saying this, do you trust me, and do you trust God? That's our questions. Who do you trust? So we're looking at just the first two verses of 1 Timothy this morning. So hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this study, Lord, we ask again that the Holy Spirit would come and give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. Father, these are words from a mentor to a mentee. He's trying to be encouraged. He's being sent into a hard place. He's scared. He's timid. And Father, he might not even really want to go. The Father with the encouragement of his Father in the faith, but more specifically, the God that is always faithful, sends him and equips him to do the work that you've called him to do. Father, may we apply that to ourselves, that you have called all of us to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to set captives free to do the work that you have set before us because you have been the one to equip us. So, Father, encourage us today. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see four things in in these two little verses this morning. We're going to see a godly authority that's given to Timothy through Paul. We're going to see a godly hope that's given through the hope of Christ. Godly encouragement that comes in that mentor relationship and godly provisions that God gives to all of us. So the first thing we're going to see is godly authority. So Paul is writing to Timothy. It's a personal letter. So why does he use an apostle of Christ Jesus? He didn't have to do that. Now, what we have to understand, though, is that it's not just a letter to Timothy, even though it is that. It's also a letter to the churches. And so he's trying to say to Timothy, you're not alone. And I'm sending you out to a church that does begin to grasp and understand that the authority that I'm given to you comes not from me, but from God himself. And so he says, hey, this is the church that I'm sending you to. And the church, listen, is God's idea. And not only is it God's idea, but it belongs to Jesus. He's the one who paid for the church. And so he sets it up in such a way that he says, I'm calling Paul to be my ambassador. He is is commissioned to speak on my behalf. And because he's commissioned to speak on his behalf, it's authoritative. And so the Apostle Paul wants everyone to know in the church and for Timothy himself to know, hey, you're going with the authority of God himself. Now, it's no different in regards to leadership today. 
Elders and deacons are still called by God. They are not chosen. Now, I really want you to hear that. Because it's it's very much up to us to be wise and discerning, to make sure that we're holding our people accountable. Because again, a lot of times, and we see this throughout the world, if if someone becomes um, something in the world, whether he's a doctor or a lawyer, or he makes a lot of money, he owns a business, somehow we think that qualifies him to be an elder or a deacon in the church. Nothing can be further from the truth. Because we can look at the outward appearance and go, yeah, this is somebody that I would listen to and somebody I would follow right until the time that they're not Christians. And they try to do things that are against the will of God. But there are people, and usually the people um, that scare me are the ones that think that they think that they're called. Most people that I go and talk to, hey, do you think you're called to the eldership? Do you think you're called to to the diaconate? No way, I can't do that. Do you know how messed up I am? Yeah, because I know how messed up I am. You're finally in a place where you're looking to God for your strength and for your wisdom and for your understanding of what the Bible says. Now you're finally ready. And so it's a calling of God. Therefore, we submit not to the men, but we submit to the authority that God has put into place. Now, it is up to the church to bring about a confirmation. The church does affirm the calling of people who are called to ministry. But in that that confirmation, again, we should say, is this man called by God? And so we examine him. And it's not an easy process. Ask anybody who goes through it. And then to sit in authority is not fun. Anybody who wants to know all the details in the church, you are sick people. Sick. I don't want to know what I do know. But we're called to come and to maintain the scripture. And so there's a calling, there's a confirmation, but leadership and authority becomes a foundation. And listen, this is probably a misnomer. And I was talking to a pastor friend recently. And, and what he wants to do in his church is he wants to change from the titles of teaching elder and ruling elder and that and just stop at shepherd. These men are shepherds. And as shepherds, they should know their flock. And they become in servant leadership. And as part of us changing to this chairmanship Uh, on the committees is I want the elders to quit doing less things and being better shepherds because shepherds lay down their lives for their sheep. So I want them praying for you and in your lives and having you over and being involved so that they know what's going on. Not so they're intrusive, but because they care. And as they are called to be those shepherds to lay down their lives, they do it all upon the foundation of the word of God. That's the standard and the foundation for which we can never stray. And the apostle Paul comes in and he says to Timothy, take heart. 
Yes, you're going to go into hard situations. Yes, you're going to be dealing with hard people. Yes, all these things are going to happen, but you're not alone. And you're not going in your own authority. You're going in the authority of God himself. So be firm, Timothy. Be ready to fight the good fight. That's what he tells all of us. When people start yelling at me and Oh, your church is so hateful. You don't care. You don't care about people in the LGBT community and stuff like that. I'm like, I love those type of people. But there is a standard that God gives. And I have to stand on what God says. I'm not going to switch just because man tells me to. This is the authority that God has given to us. And so we stand firm because his foundation never fails. And he is always faithful. And so Paul comes to Timothy and says, this is the authority that you've been given. Then he also gives him the hope. And he says, Timothy, I also want you to know this, that God is your Savior. Now, don't you think Timothy knows that? So why does Paul remind him? Because again, sometimes if we're honest, especially those of us who've been Christians a long time, we start thinking that we clean up pretty well. We think that we've reached a point where we are holy. I think what happens a lot of times is we become greater in our understanding and how to judge other people. And that's not left up to us. That's left to God. And so he tells us we need to be reminded every day of the gospel message that we need to be forgiven. There is nothing I bring. I am a sinner. And let's make a distinction here. And if you've been through the requires class, you're going to sit through this example again. Um, but I had a, uh, I was a youth pastor in Chattanooga. And we used to do um, a prisoner angel tree thing where we would go out and buy the gifts on behalf of the prisoners and we'd give it to the kids. And so our youth group wanted to go above and beyond. That's great. What are we going to do? We're going to take out the two girls that we are sponsoring. And instead of us us picking the gifts for them, we want to take them and go to the mall. And we're going to give them lunch. And then we're going to take them and they're going to get to pick their own gifts. Isn't that incredible? They get to pick their own gifts that they want and not what we tell them we want. So we go out and we do this. We have a great day. They eat lunch. They pick their gifts. And we're going home to drop the girls back off. And um, some of our kids, some of my youth kids are starting to wait kind of for a thank you. Life-changing example for me. One of the girls looked at my kids and said, thank you. I'll never see you again. You didn't do this for me. You did it because you're guilty white people. So... Bye. Life-changing. Because most people think that sin is doing something bad. We can be sinning doing something good, but out of the ministry of what God wants us to do. Life-changing for me, life-changing for my kids to figure out that they were doing something good, but they were doing it for themselves. So we want to make sure that we understand that we are all sinners and that we're dead in our sins 
And so it's God who comes to us first and foremost. And when he comes to us, he gives us his son. And again, that's a part of the gospel I don't understand. He gives his son as a ransom for us. And he's only allowed to be a ransom because he lived a perfect life. He obeyed his father perfectly where we don't. And then when he gives to us, as he gives us an imputation of his righteousness. It's not just the opportunity. It is an assurity that God loves us intimately. And so Paul reminds Timothy, this is what God has done for you. He gave his son for you, Timothy. And because he's given his son, you now have hope. You have hope because Jesus is your greater brother and, he's, and he has raised from the dead. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not just a good person. He's not just somebody to listen to. He is the son of God and he had to be the son of God. And he gives us a hope. Listen to what Lincoln Duncan says in regards to hope. He says, 1 Corinthians 15, if our hope is in this life alone, we are all men most miserable. But the great thing is that we as Christians look for in the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the culmination of his his kingdom. And so our hope is firmly placed on him, on his person, on his divinity, on his incarnation, on his life, on his ministry, on his miracles, on his death, on his burial, and on his resurrection, his ascension, and his reign in heaven now. And we look for his coming again. Our hope is all wrapped up in that. And Paul says, I minister in light of the consciousness of God, who is my Savior, but also of Jesus, who is my hope. Is that your hope? Is that your hope to say, Jesus, I want you to come back because I'm sure I know where I go. I know where I'm going and I'm following Christ, but he has given me everything by everything that he has done. And so I'm assured of that hope. And so Paul says, Timothy, man, look, you've been given godly authority. You've been given godly hope. But now also I want to give you godly encouragement. And so the apostle Paul was in a spiritual relationship with Timothy. And you've heard the statement, like father, like son. Timothy was looking like his master. He followed him probably from Lystra, they said. One of the times where Paul was beaten. And Timothy grew up in a home where he had a Gentile father and he had um, an Israelite mother and grandmother. And it's just from his parents that he receives the gospel message, remember? And so he receives the gospel message. He sees Paul come into the city. He sees Paul beaten for Christ. And so he begins to follow Paul all around. He begins to find his relationship. And in his relationship, he, he never has to find himself in a place where he's on his own. It's the same with all of our biblical relationships. Every one of us should have a Paul in our relationship. All of us should have a Barnabas in our relationship. And all of us should have a Timothy. Every one of us. Even if you're getting a little bit grayer and a little bit older. Maybe there's not so many Pauls for you, but there's plenty of Barnabases and there's plenty of Timothys. But all of us need to have people speaking into our lives 
We need to have companions and associates walking through life together. And there needs to be people that we're pouring into as apprentices. Every one of us. So it doesn't matter from the person who's the oldest person in the sanctuary to the person who's the youngest in the sanctuary. There should be somebody pouring into you and you pouring into them. Has to. Then we begin to grasp and understand because, again, what was happening with Timothy? He's a young person. Remember, God? Remember, Paul says, don't let him look down on you because you're young, Timothy. There are people who are going to look at you and go, like what happened when I was in youth ministry, when I was a young college guy, before I was married, before I had kids, and I would say, hey, let me tell you some things about your kids. And the parents were like, you tell me about how to raise my kids when you go into a restaurant and you try to take care of them when they're throwing food at the table next to them. When you're trying to have devotions with them and they're sitting there making fart noises with their arms. You start doing that kind of stuff, then you have earned the right to tell me how to raise my kids. I said, well, that might be true, but let me tell you what the word of the Bible says to you. So he tells them, he says, Timothy, these people who think that they don't have anything, you have nothing to offer, take them back to the word. Because Jesus sure does. So he's young, he's timid. Who isn't timid as a young person? Scared. Overwhelmed. And Paul says, no, Timothy. You have the truth. And you have me. And you have the brothers. And he had his health issues. And they came alongside him and said, hey, take some wine. Take care of yourself, Timothy. We all need that. People who will be honest with us and say, you know what? You're not a very nice person right now. Or maybe they're there to also encourage you. One of the things, Robin tells me this all the time, and I'm tired of it. But she's always saying, you really don't believe that I love you, do you? No. After 17 years, Jeffrey, you don't... I said, Robin, I I understand. I know, theoretically, I should trust you. Theoretically, I know that you love me. I know you've given me everything. I know you've adopted me into your family. You allow me to be around the silver fox. All these things are all true. They're all good. But there's always something in the back of my head that says, but you're going to be like my dad and you're going to walk away. You're going to walk away too. Always. Now, again, it doesn't make sense. But I need Robin to encourage me over and over and over again. Jeffrey, you're loved. I know Robin, but Jeffrey, you're loved. I know Robin, but Jeffrey, you're loved. You're loved. You're loved. And we need to do that for one another. We need to do that for one another. And that's part of that spiritual mentorship. And so a a disciple is is defined this way. This was how one of the guys defined it. A disciple is fat, faithful, available, and teachable. Are we faithful? 
to the calling that we've been given through Christ? Are we available to be used by him? And are we teachable so that he might change us? And how do you do it? God gives us the example. Jesus said very clearly to the disciples, I'm going to go do the ministry and you watch me. I'm going to do it. So Jesus did the ministry and the disciples watched him. And then he said, now I want you to now come and participate with me. Could you, I mean, think about this. Jesus is looking out of a crowd. Remember twice he feeds the crowds. One of 5,000, right? One of 4,000. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, we need to feed these people. How much food do we have? We got some bread and we got some fish. Jesus, we don't have enough stuff to feed our own group. How are we going to feed these people? Pray to the Lord. Okay, Jesus. Can you think about that? If I came and said, now again, I understand I'm not Jesus, so don't write me emails and be like, don't say, don't equate yourself with Jesus. I'm not. But for sake of argument, you believed me so much that when we come out here for our um, picnic and prayers and only one family brought food that I would say to the elders that were around me and I said, you know what, guys? We need to pray to God and he's going to fill the stomachs of every person here. And not only that, we're going to have extra to, to go and give to the homeless. Do you think they would believe me? Jeff, you're an idiot. There's Kentucky Fried Chicken down the road. We'll just go by. We'll take care of this ourselves. Jesus uses the disciples and he says, now watch what my father can do. They start to hand it out. And listen, the first people, think about the first people. They were so grubby. They took all they wanted. And they kept passing. And they kept passing. And they kept passing to where there was so much left over that it was basketfuls. And Jesus says, do you trust me now? And so he goes out and he does the ministry. He has disciples partake with him. And then he sends the disciples out. Remember that? He says, don't go take anything with you, but go out. Go out and preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Set captives free. And Jesus was still there with them. Because remember, they came back and they said, hey, God, there were some incredible things, but there were also some hard things. And he says, I know. Keep trusting. And then Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. But it's a better thing because the Holy Spirit's going to come and be with you all the time. So he gives us the example of how to be encouraged. And we need to be doing it to one another. Don't do anything alone. Take someone with you. Teach them, equip them, and then send them and encourage them. Then the last thing God gives to Timothy is he gives these godly provisions. Sorry about that. Spiritual relationships, encouragement. Boom. Next point. Sorry. Godly provisions. Now, Paul always ended or brought in his um, letters with the two words, grace and peace. It's to Timothy that he adds a third, okay, and he adds mercy. Now, again, most of us understand that grace is unmerited favor. 
So it's unmerited favor that God gives to us that we didn't deserve. It's that gift. And how are we to respond? We respond in worship and thanksgiving. And we understand that. Someone gives you a gift at a party, your parents, if they're good parents, are going to force you to write a thank you note. And you're not going to get to use that present until you write that thank you note. So you write a thank you note, and you are thanking them. You are going, and you're made to hug them before they leave. Go give that hug. Go tell them that you love them. Love you. Thank you. But sometimes there really are people who go and respond. Thank you so much. What an incredible gift. So we respond. We understand that. We also understand peace. Peace is a, another gift of God that he gives to us. And allows us to, to remain and believe in God no matter what comes. Right? It's the trust fall. If you believe in God and he says, trust me, let go, do you? No matter what. But then he adds to Timothy mercy. Now, why does, he, why does he tell this pastor? God wants to give you his mercy. A couple things. One, define mercy. Not punishing for what our, our sins deserve. So it's a kindness and it's a compassion that God gives to us. And listen, every day that you are still awake is an act of mercy. Because God could send you to hell right at this very moment. And he is well within his rights. So every day that you are awake and you have another opportunity to hear the gospel message that Jesus Christ gave his life for you so that you might have eternity with God through the payment of Jesus Christ. That's one more opportunity to turn from our sins and turn to Christ and to live for him. Over and over and over again. What a gracious God. I think he's also given him mercy because he's saying, I am giving you kindness and I'm giving you compassion, Timothy. Go. Go and preach the gospel again and again and again. Stand firm in the midst of the fight, Timothy. Remember whose authority you go with. Remember the encouragement of those who've gone before you and those who are coming after you. Fight the good fight, Timothy. Fight the good fight. Let me end with this statement from a pastor in one of his sermons. He says, Timothy, you have to live a delicate balance where sinners feel welcome while at the same time maintaining an uncompromising stance against sin. You can only do that in the power of Christ. That's what we're called to do. Welcome sinners. Of which, as we, if we were along with Paul, I'm the worst. But in the midst of that, we go back to the foundation of the word and we say this is a stance of which we will not compromise because we want to give glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he is our hope and he is our salvation. Amen? So that's the first two verses of Timothy. Lord willing, we'll come back and start getting into the real meat of what Paul says to his disciple. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your words that you've given through the Apostle Paul to Timothy and now comes to us. Father, we know that your authority is found in your word. It's our foundation and it's uncompromising. And you do still call people today to stand up, to stand up for the church and to stand up for the word. Lord, Father, we're so grateful for the hope that you've given to us in Jesus Christ as he has become our Savior and our Lord. We thank you for the godly encouragement that we receive from one another in this room. Father, those who are Timothys to us, those who are Barnabas, and those who are Paul. And Father, we also thank you that you've given us the provisions, your mercy and grace, so that we might have peace and peace forevermore. So Father, take us through this book, change us, equip us, encourage us, and love us so very intimately that we never, ever question that or your call for us to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to set captives free. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.